To answer is human. To question is divine. Welcome to the world of the Hidden Gateway, an exhilarating podcast exploring the concepts humans have been struggling with since the dawn of existence, such as, who are we? Is there such a thing as good and evil, or are they arbitrary constructs? Does the paranormal exist? How can we evolve to a higher state? Can our mind influence what we term as reality? Providing a transcendental approach, combined with hard-nosed humanistic analysis, we invite you on a journey to question your worldview in this theater of life. Join our host, Justin Williams, as he explores the outer realms of faith, the supernatural, human potential, and even our concepts of the universal creator with a fascinating array of guests. This is the unseen world, magical, mysterious, and mystical, where your only limitation is your imagination. This is The Hidden Gateway. Welcome to another episode of the Hidden Gateway podcast. I'm your host, Justin Williams, and today's guest is Pierre Sabak. Pierre is an expert on ancient symbolism and is widely recognized as a leading academic in the fields of religion, mythology, mysticism, and esoteric. Author, speaker, researcher, Pierre Sabak, welcome to the Hidden Gateway podcast. How are you doing, man? Thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm really looking forward to this chat, so thank you again. Yes, yes, absolutely, man. I, I know we've been in contact here for several weeks and we were able to lock a date in and this is, uh, I've been looking forward to it myself. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, you could just take a few minutes, Pierre, tell tell the good people, the, the Hidden Gateway listeners, just a, just a bit about you. Okay. Um, I'm probably best well known in the UK for my book, The Murder of Reality, Hidden Symbolism of the Dragon. Uh, this work appeared in David Ide's book, um, The Lion Sleeps No More. And so this really popularized my work within the alternative media. Now, The Murder of Reality, Hidden Symbolism of the Dragon looks at, as in the title, The Hidden Symbols of the Dragon. Uh, specifically, I look at the Serpentagina. Now, this is a Latin word, which means the serpent race. They're also known in the Latin as the Anguagina, which also means the serpent race. Again, the terminology um, Anguagina in, in the Latin can also mean a Theban. Now, the etymology of Theban comes from Taban, which is a serpent. So um, the Thebans are connected to the serpent priesthood. And now this uh, goes back to a strand of knowledge which relates to the seraphic tradition or the seraphim angels, which are non-human angels, which imparted knowledge to mankind. And so, um, so this is really the mysteries appertaining to the serpent, um, which are these non-human angels. So that was my first book, and, and it delved into issues of the mystery religions, ancient Egypt. Um, I looked at the jinn. And then my second book is Holographic Culture. And uh, on a holographic culture, I really wanted to try and structure this information. And I wanted to go into um, much more specifically into the angelic sailors. So in my first book, The Murder of Reality, uh, I definitely touch upon and, and look at the angelic sailors. But in my second work, Holographic uh, Culture, this is a study of the angelic sailors. And so this relates to the scaphological tradition. Now, scaphology is this, um, it's a neologism and, and it's a word uh, which I use to describe the study of angelic boats within the religious and mythological tradition. 
Now, the etymology or the derivation of the word scaph comes from the word, um, the Greek word scaph, which is a mooring vessel. So this is a, a small ship or, or a vessel. And uh, um, uh, from the etymology of scapto, which is to dig out or to, ho to hollow out. So uh, these are, if you like, vessels or hollow boats. So this is the study of um, boats within symbolism and mythology. Now, this is... Uh, particularly pertinent when we're um, talking about and addressing angels because in the ancient languages the angels are referred to as angelic sailors and this is um, something which I highlight in my own work and in, in, in actual fact I was the first author as far as I'm aware to, to make this connection with the angelic sailors and so my research looks at the connection between angelic sailors and in particular how the occult tradition of ufology goes back to the ancient scriptural and the mythological traditions, the apocryphal traditions um, in terms of the angels. So these, these angels um, interlink, if you like, with the ufological tradition. And I, I think that this is actually very important because when you look at, let's say, modern-day ufology, you see two types of beings very typically. You see non-human beings and then you see um, human beings, and they appear together... Um, together and, and in conjunction together but this is something which is actually very ancient and goes back into the ancient traditions so for example in the bible you typically see and again this appears in apocryphal works such as the book of enoch um, angels such as um, the cherubim which are these human angels and they appear in conjunction with the seraphim which are these non-human angels now the word seraphim um, comes from the etymology of seraph which is a serpent uh, this mm -hmm. is this is actually uh, relating to the jinn because the old Semitic word for um, jinn, which is a spirit, is related to jinn, which is a serpent. Um, and as we said before in the Latin, this would be the serpentagena or the anguagena. So uh, we're dealing here with the study of uh, the reptile, sauros, or, or, or a dragon, in, in the Greek, a dragon. So that's really the study of um, angelic sailors in a nutshell. Um in, in, in a short while, I would actually like to um, go into some of the etymologies because it's, it's one thing saying, well, you know, the angels are sailors and that they're related to astrotheological symbols. But mm -hmm. you need to go into the ancient study of languages to actually demonstrate this proposition to show that this is actually true. Otherwise, the words are just empty. And, um, and, and you find this a lot within um, the alternative media. Um, you find that a lot of the alternative media has been hijacked. So there's a lot of um, nonsense, uh, which is just not, you know, which is just ma made up. And so I think that this is really important because when you're dealing with the ufological tradition and when you're dealing with the ancient traditions relating to the angels, um, it's, it's a very important study. And I, I really want to go back to the academic study. Um, and so I really want to try and, re-legitimize ufology because in a sense i think ufology has fallen into disrepute and it's a very tarnished subject um, within academia and there's really no need for this and i think that one of the ways in which we can um shall we say begin to deconstruct ufology is to go back into the ancient traditions and to look um, at the etymologies and where ufology actually originates from and the close relationships between secret societies and the propagation of ufo cults which also fits into um, the propagation of uh, religious cults and contemporary religions so that's um 
that that's a short introduction uh if you have any questions i'll i'll let you um ask a few questions and we can take it from there yeah absolutely thank you for that information so um very interesting things you mentioned uh the serpent right and you mentioned did you say serpent uh the angel types you know when, when you said that i thought of uh yes. the, the reptilian reptilian race would it be something along those lines or are we, are we talking something something different here we're, no we're talking exactly the same um okay so, uh, okay. Um, now, obviously, everyone's aware of um, anybody who studied theology will be aware of of the etymology of an, um, angelos and angel, which is a messenger, um, a divine messenger. Um, now, but the thing is, is that in the ancient Aramaic, the word for an angel is zar. Now, zar means an angel, but it's a polymorphic word. It's a polymorphic symbol, so it has multiple meanings. Zar also means an alien, stranger, or a foreigner. So the angels are typically represented as um, alien or strange. Muzar is strange. And, um, and and so they are seen as being quite um, distinct or, or different. And this is particularly so when we're dealing with the seraphim, because the seraphim are non-human angels. Seraph is um, a serpent. And the angels are correlated with um, angelic boats and angelic vessels. So within the ancient Hebrew and the Semitic, there is a close correspondence between seraph and you have to understand that within Indo-European languages, there's a switch or a close morphological switch. Um, I call these phonetic switches within my book. So there's a, a switch between the P and the S. So seraph a serpent is related to uh, sapan, which is a seaman or a type of sailor, and safina, which is um, a ship. Now, you find this also with the human angels as well. So, therefore, you see that there's a relationship between um, cherub, the cherubim, which is related to kerev, which is a sword, and um, carib, uh, which is a, a small boat or a vessel. And so, the terminology, um, the cherubim, meaning an armed angel, because it has a close connotation of carib, which is a, a small boat or a vessel, um, mm -hmm. then, then the best translation for the word cherubim would be a marine because we're dealing here with um, that this is an armed angel. And, and so this really relates to the angelic host. Again, host um, is coming from the etymology meaning an army. Again, in the Greek, it's translated as stratos, which is an army. So when we tie this together, when we look at the generic word for an angel, malak an angel, again, rabbinical scholars trace the wording malak and angel to the root amar which is to speak or to command um, but again uh, there's a close root there also with um, the, the idea of a builder so the builder is used to refer to an angel but it's closely related to one who speaks or talks or commands uh, we would draw the analogy in english with a construct as in an intellectual construct and a construction which is the building so there is that if you like that same type of um, wordplay which is correspondent now as i said um, amar is to speak our command but is related to amara which is a fleet or a naval host and this is why that when we look at the etymology for example of um, an angel malak alaka which is um, um, a messenger or to give a message and lick which is to follow but the terminology malaka sailor is polymorphic okay it has multiple meanings so malak an angel is also related to malak which is a sailor Okay, mm. so it's polymorphic. We're dealing here with the angelic sailor. And this is uh, particularly pertinent when we look at Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of the host. 
Now, in the Bible, Yahweh Sabaoth, the name Lord of the Host, um, is referenced over 300 times in the Old Testament. Now, Sabaoth Host comes from the etymology of Saba, which is an army, but is closely concordant with Tsevet, which is a crew member of a naval vessel. As we said before, Malak, an angel, is correlated with Malak, a sailor. So Tsevet, which is a crew member of a vessel, and Teva, or Teba, in the Old Semitic, of an ark. Okay, so if you mm-hmm. like the angels, uh, they are uh, symbolized or closely associated with boats and ships. As we said before, Seraph and Sephina mm-hmm. are a ship. Um, we've got the Cherubim or Cherub and um, Carib, which is a landing vessel. So this is tying into scaphology, which is the study of angelic boats and vessels within the angelic tradition. And... Um, this is certainly important when we're looking at the classical tradition because the classical tradition is really the angelic tradition, which is the naval tradition. Okay, so mm. uh, classis, meaning um, an, a naval fleet in, in the Latin, is related to that which is classified. And the reason why the naval tradition is classified is because it's appertaining to the angels. Malak an angel is Malak a sailor. So the classical tradition is really the angelic tradition, which is the uh, naval tradition. Now, this is uh, really important, let's say, when we get into cult symbolism within ufology, because as Mm -hmm. anybody who studied ufology will know, the naval tradition is actually intrinsic to the codification and the symbolism found within ufology. So we're seeing automatically that there is this close link or this close relationship between uh, the modern ufological tradition and the old angelic tradition, which is um, ascribed to the classical tradition. And as I said before, classical um, is related to that which is classified because this is a classified tradition. The angelic tradition is classified and it relates to these angelic boats and these angelic vessels. So that's um, um, a little bit of a tie-in, if you like, with the um, angels and um, how they relate to um, the scaphological tradition. But just to give you, your listeners, a, a quick summary, Malak an angel is equated to Malak a sailor. As we said before, we've got the relationship with the cherubim, which is um, a marine or a mariner, related to cherub, carib, which is a landing vessel, or seraph, which are the non-human angels, equated with safina, which is a, a ship, a boat, or a vessel. And even when we're looking at the Aramaic word for czar, which is, as we said before, an angel, but it's polymorphic for czar, which is an angel, stranger, or foreigner, czar is equated with sira, which is a boat, and sar, which is a captain, or a prince. Again, the terminology prince and captain are closely um, aligned together. And, and we're seeing this correspondence also within the Greek between uh, Nuarkos, which is a captain of a naval vessel, um, and Olkas, which is a boat. Now, this is important within the Greek mysteries also, because everybody, I'm sure, on your show will have heard of the Archons, which is a type of archangel, Archon from the um, terminology or etymology, arcane to rule. Now, the yeah. Archons are relate, related to arcs, in the Greek, Olkas, which is a large carrier vessel. So these are, are large vessels. Now, the archons specifically relate to the seraphim, which are the non-human angels. And this is because um, archon is a derivative from akan, which is the old Babylonian root for a seraph, ak, which is to shine. As we said before, malak and angel, mm. ak is to shine. Uh, right. Now, this is kind of interesting when you're looking at symbology of the Illuminati. 
because the old Babylonian word ak to shine is related to um, ak, which is the Arabic word for a brother. The kind of word analogy in English would be sun, as in um, my baby sun, and sun in the sky, as in mm-hmm. shine. But here we're dealing with the symbology of this um, angelic lineage. Now, this angelic lineage relates to kingship, and I, I want to go into that in a moment, but I'm probably bamboozling uh, yourself and, and the audience. So I'll just step back a little bit, and I'll, I'll let you <laughs> questions. This is good, man. This is good. You you have a very good way of uh, presenting the information. This is this is very interesting. Thank you. So we're talking about angels here, and I, I want to hear about these human angels. And I also want to ask you, you know, regarding the Bible, right? We hear about angels in the Bible, um, you know, like angel, archangel Michael. Yeah. You know, wh- where does he fall in line? Like, are, are the angels that are mentioned in the Bible, or, or you know, how does that tie in? Are 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 the archangels the like the the most powerful leader of all angels, or, or how, how does that work out? Um, well, I think you have to look at the angelic retinue as an, a naval host, and therefore their structure is based upon a military structure. And so they, the seraphim are the highest angels, and they are okay. non-human angels. And then underneath the seraphim are the cherubim, which are these... Uh, I call them proto-human angels, and this is a proto-human lineage, which is very distinct, shall we say, from the Ishim, which are uh, human angels, um, which are, which are aligned, shall we say, to Adamic angels. Now, the Adamic man and the proto-human is something which is which which is different, and we can go in into that um, in a little bit more detail later on. So, yeah, you have this uh, military structure of angels in which the human angels are under the seraphim, which are these non-human angels. Uh, now, the seraphim originate from Sirius, and they're also closely concordant with the jinn as well. Um, and, and this is certainly found within, shall we say, the etymologies. And, and again, they're closely grouped with the watchers as well. So if we look, for example, at the seraphim, uh, the wording seraphim, seraph a serpent, is related to serepha, which is fire. Now, fire is used as an ancient signifier to refer to Sirius. In the Arabic, Sire is the shining one. Now, um, so therefore, um, and, and the word um, Sire, the shining one, is related to um, Sara, which is a spark. So the seraphim, uh, which is Serefa, which is fire, is concordant with Sirius, which is the sparking one or a spark. And so the flame is used to denote uh, the seraphim, but it's also used to denote um, the jinn as well, because within uh, the Quran and within esoteric literature, the jinn are said to be born of fire. Now, many commentators have um, interpreted this to mean various things. Um, some have said that this is because the jinn are spirit-like, which is true, and we can go into that in a moment, but they're also living and physical, which is also true. Um, oh, wow. I want to know about that. Okay. Yeah, but huh. the, um, the symbology of the fire, um, the spark, is actually an astrotheological symbol, and it, and it denotes... Uh, the seraphim and that the seraphim that they originate from Sirius and if we um, refer back to the Quran in the Quran Allah is referred to as the Lord of Sirius and this is drawing a close analogy if you like um, between the Lord of Sirius which is identified with the seraphic host which is this non-human host now the um, seraphic host are uh, connected um, with the watchers now, the watchers are very interesting because the watchers are also known as the shining ones. So in mm. ancient um, Aramaic and Hebrew, Erin is a watcher. Ur, 
um, erin is the plural word, the watchers. Er is a watcher. Okay, er is related to or, which is light. And so the word erin, a watcher, or a shining one, that's polymorphic, it often translates as um, a shining one, um, um, is again another word for the seraphim. Now this is close because within the ancient languages there's a close analogy between the shining one and the watchers. Erin, a watcher, or a shining one. Now the same is also found um, in the Hebrew word seraph, a serpent, sofeph, a watcher. Now this is very important when we're looking at the morphology of Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of the Host, because we see that there's a close concordant um, between sofeph, a watcher. Um, and Saba, which is the host, um, related to Seraph, which is a serpent. And so here we're dealing specifically with Yahweh Sabaoth, the lord of the seraphic host. So Sofeth, a watcher, Sephah, which is a viper, Seraph, which is a flaming serpent, which is equivalent to Erin, a watcher, or a shining one. Now, tying this all in together, the watchers is another word for a god or a deity. And so we're seeing... Uh, within the biblical tradition, there is this close correspondence between the Elohim. Now, the word Elohim is translated as the gods or the high ones. Um, mm-hmm. And um, Elohim is related to Erin, which is a watcher or a shining one, equated with Awim, which are the serpents. This is the old Semitic word, Awim, which are the serpents. Um, but we're seeing that this is a polyglottal wordplay. And what I mean by a polyglottal wordplay is that uh, there are word plays which repeat in multiple languages. Now, I refer to this in my book, Holographic Culture, as the artifact. The artifact is this alien code which is uh, found within all human languages. It's the signature, and it's the signature which points to the others, which are these angelic beings. So they've encoded themselves within human languages. And these codes are polyglottal, so they're found um, within all language. And we can, if you like, if you want to. Uh, see an example of polyglottal symbolism in play. A good example, which I often use, is the word God. Now, if you take the word God and you reverse it, you get the word dog. Now, this is no Mm -hmm. coincidence, because as we said before, that the um, seraphim and the lord of the host is equated with the dog star Sirius. So, God Mm -hmm. and dog. But we're finding also the same word plays within the Arabic. Allah is equated to awa, which is to bark. In the Latin also... In the Latin also, the old uh, Roman name for Apollo is Lato. Now, Lato is related to Latro, which is to bark or to snarl. Again, it's very closely uh, related to Latins, which is um, to hide or to conceal. Now, to hide or conceal is the occult tradition, because the occult means literally to conceal or to hide. Now, what do we mean by the hidden tradition? Well, this is the tradition of the jinn. Jin or Jana to hide or to conceal. So the occult tradition appertains to that which is hidden, which is to do with the jinn, which are also known as the watchers or the shining ones. As we said before, mm. um, occult or oculus, which is the eye, would relate to um, the dragon. Drakos and I in the old Greek, Drakane, which is to look. Again, it's closely related to the word to flash. Um, and this is because of the signifiers which relate to light or the shining ones, which are the watchers. And so when you're looking at the uh, Lord of the host, Yahweh's the both, Lord of the host, Sofa for watcher, Seraph for serpent, Sabar an army, mm-hmm. Sever a crew member of a naval vessel, we're seeing that the Lord of the host, the Elohim, is equated with Erin, a watcher, or a shining one. But again, this wordplay is polyglottal. It's also found within the Greek. So 
Theos, a god, is related to Theros, which is a watcher, Therion, which is a beast, which is used within occult symbolism to denote a dragon. And again, Phos, which is light, which again has a close correspondence within Greek um, philosophy with Ophis, which is a serpent, and Ops, which is an eye. So the eye is used as the, um, if you like, the uh, motif par excellence of the dragon or the watcher or, or the shining one. And indeed, if you notice within um, Masonic regalia, the, sh the eye is often depicted as shining. And again, this goes back into the Egyptian mysteries as well. Horus loses his eyes. Uh, this is the war within heaven um, and the blinding of the watchers or, or the fact that the watchers themselves became so arrogant that they um, put placed themselves above the divine, which is the absolute. And so this again feeds into um, um, symbology found within Gnosticism and within the Egyptian mysteries. So, so yeah. Um, I'll, okay. I'll, you just um, any, any questions or um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and I have a lot of questions. So, with these angels, like, what are they? What are they doing? Right? What are they doing? And and then we we go into talking about everything that's going on in the world today, right? Mm -hmm. you, you, the madness, I guess, started a long time ago, right? But it got it it, it shifted in twenty twenty. Uh, here we are in 2021. We're dealing with uh, we're dealing with COVID. We're, we're dealing with the jab. Um, I would think that angels are are on assignment. Yes. Uh, well, again, I think that this is complex because people want very simple answers. It's a bit like me saying to you, "Well, is the race of man good or bad?" And actually, within mankind, we find everything from the absolute um, altruism and kindness and compassion. And then we see the exact opposite of psycho, um, you know, mm. the psych psychopathic behavior and um, that which is evil. So, and, and I think that this is the same with the angels as well. And there are also different factions and they're not always on the same page. It's a bit like humans, in a sense, we're all we're human beings are fighting this um, perpetual war, and this war is also mirrored within heaven as well. And so there are different factions amongst the angels, and so they are at war, and they this war within heaven is also being reflected and played out on the earth as well. And this is not just something which is um, being propagated now, but this is an ancient belief which goes back into the mystery schools. Um, so we're really seeing um, what what's occurring in heaven as a reflection on, on the earth and, and that the two are very closely interrelated to government. And, and again, the word government um, is related to um, gubernatia, which is one who, who steers the state. Um, Kubernau is to steer a ship. Uh, this is why we refer to the ship um, of state. The ship of state is referring to this um, classical tradition, which is, as we said, classified, and which is relating to the naval tradition, which is this angelic tradition. And so the ship of state, again, feeds into ideas such as the dock of law. So this goes into uh, law. And so we've got law and politics, which are closely um, entwined uh, within the um, double house. Again, the double house is the upper house, which represents uh, the angelic retinue. And then we've got the commons, uh, which represents the earth. And I think that this is also very interesting when we're looking at the Hebrew etymologies also um, appertaining to government. So, for example, within the Hebrew, the word for a political party in Hebrew 
Uh, one of the words is Satan. Now, the word Satan literally means an adversary or, or an opponent. It's closely related to the word in Sinton, which is two. Um, but again, um, we're seeing that the word Satan is a, a political party, is grouped with Shilton, which is government, Sultan, which is this royal lineage, which are correlated with uh, the fallen angels, which is this grafted or stitched lineage to use the ancient terminology so we've got sultan which is the royal lineage which is again related to uh, tan which is a crocodile or tanim which, which is a dragon within the arabic and so um yeah the um, government is this um, bicameral system this um um, this dualed system between heaven and earth between the upper and the lower house and it's we have as the mediator of, of this the royal lineage and again, that this really goes back, if you like, into um, um, the Republic. I mean, the Republic is, is about um, whether one has an adjudicator of heaven and earth or whether human beings are capable of making their own decisions and whether they should be permitted to rule themselves. And th this argument is behind every single war on the planet and is still behind all of the wars on the planet. And I really... At some stage, I want to draw attention between, if you like, uh, the rulers and the angels. And in fact, I could probably do that now. So, please, please. So, as I said before, there is this relationship between Satan, which is an adversary or an opponent. And we said that the governments are adversarial, and this relationship between Shilton, which is government. And then we've got the Sultan, which is the royal lineage, which relates to Tanning, which is a dragon, which is again this um, seraphic component, which is equated with the king. Now, when we're looking at the ancient languages, the lineage of the king is said to be divine or royal. And so, therefore, we're seeing that there is this close. A correspondence between Malak and Angel and Melech, which is a king. And again, uh, the um, Semitic word for a prince, Amir, a prince, is closely related to Amar, which is um, a, a type of jinn. But again, Amara, which is a naval fleet. And again, um, uh, um, Amara is to command, which is related to the root for the word angel. So Malak an angel, Melech a king. Uh, we're seeing also that in the ancient Aramaic, Sarah prince is related to Zar, which is an angel, alien, stranger, or a foreigner. Um, again, within the Greek traditions also, there is, if you like, this close um, analogy between this grafted lineage, which is this um, serpentogene of the offspring of the dragon, the serpent race, and the grafting together of bloodlines, of human bloodlines. Uh, this is represented as a family tree. So they're literally the grafting together of bloodlines as a family tree. So when we're looking at the serpent, for example, in the Persian, we see that there's a relationship between Mal, which is um, a leader, and Mar, which is a serpent. Uh, but also we find the same within the Greek. These are polyglottal symbols. So these play out within um, multiple languages. So, for example, within the Greek, we have Basilius, which is a king, um, from the root word Basilikos, which is a serpent. Um, again, within the Arabic, again, these are all polyglottal um, signifiers. So we have got the, uh, the word seraph, which is related to salif, which is a noble. As we said before, um, Sarah, prince, is related to Zar, which is an alien or a stranger. Malak, a king, is related to Melek. Um, Melek, a king, is related to Malak, an angel. Now, in English, we've got the same encoding. We would refer to kingship. 
Now, kingship is related to, as we said before, this angelic tradition, which is this classical or naval tradition. So we would say kingship or highness. Highness, again, is related to the high ones, the Elohim, the high ones, or more specifically, the Bene Elohim. The Bene Elohim are the sons of the high ones or the sons of the gods. The sons of the gods were known in Genesis 6 as the uh, Nephilim. Now, this was a bastardized oh. lineage. If, if right. we call the, the fallen lineage. So Nafil the giant is related to Nafil fallen. It's a, it's a wordplay within the Semitic. But again, it's um, astrotheologically concordant with the star system Nephilia, which is Orion. Now, Orion is very significant in terms of uh, Masonic symbolism because it represents the covenant of worlds. Um, now, we have other words for the Nephilim. So we have, uh, for example, um, the Anaki, the sons of Anak. Now, again, um, Anak is um, a diptych paranomasia. And I'm, I'm sorry I'm using all of these technical terms, but I'm really trying to um, present this in an academic way because I yes. think it, 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 it's very easy just to almost make up stories. Um, and But I want to really try and pin this back to the ancient um, languages and say that this is a discipline which really is worthy of study. And this is okay. something which has been overlooked because – you cannot understand uh, ancient mythology. You cannot understand theology without understanding the scaphological tradition, which is the study of these angelic boats and vessels within the ancient religions and within ancient mythology. Because mythology and religion, they are one and the same. They are relating to the mysteries. And the mysteries are basically about the origins of humanity. And humanity, humanity is suffering from amnesia. Um, and, mm -hmm. and and this is because we are a planted race. We have been planted on on the earth. And so there is a lot of history which is missing. And also a lot of the history is codified. It's codified through allegory, allegoria, other speaking. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is important, allegoria, other speaking. Now, mm -hmm. allos other is relating to the others or in the Greek allos genes, which are literally an alien. But again, the alien or a stranger or a foreigner is used as a synonym within the Greek as within the ancient Aramaic to refer to an angel. So one who is foreign, a foreigner, a stranger or an alien, they're all terms interchangeable to denote an angel. As, as we said before, this closely entwines and fits in with the ufological tradition. So we have the... Um, the Nephilim, um, Nephilim giant, Nephilim fallen, related to Nephilim, which is Orion. They're also referred to as the um, Gibberim. The, the Gibberim um, from the etymology of Gibbar, which is Orion. So again, we're seeing that the same signifier is found. Now, the terminology Gibberim is um, translated as heroes in, in the Greek. Now, heroes is a close cognate of air in the Greek word for um, um, to be a high. And, and, and again, uh, this, again, is referring to the Elohim or the Bene Elohim, the sons of the gods. Um, and the sons of the gods, they mated um, with the um, daughters of Adam. Now, who do we mean by the Bene Elohim? Who were the sons of the gods? Well, in the, um, in, in the um, Testament of Amran uh, the, the, and in the Book of Enoch, they are referred to, the Bene Elohim are the children of the Watchers. And who are the Watchers? Well, we said Sofa for Watchers related to Seraph, which is a serpent, or Erin is a, a watch or a shining one. Again, it's analogous to um, Awim, which are the serpents. 
So again, the terminology awim is, is it has this um, nuance. It can also mean um, a devastator. And, and this is also found within the Latin with the word repere, which is a reptile. Um, but again, repere is closely um, related to rapere, which is um, a rapist or um, one who abducts. And, and this is again going back into the ufological tradition, this idea that the angels um, abduct, mark an angel, mikak, which is um, to abduct or to, or to seize. And again, um, seraph and shovef, which is a captor. And again, these are working on morphological switches. But essentially within etymology, the closer the morphology the, the word is, the, closely, the more closely it is aligned to the original etymology. But essentially you have what is known as um, well, generically is divarication, which is these multiple chains of words which um, originate from um, words and they branch off into multiple chains. This is divarication. A study of one of these chains would be bivarication. So this is um, how words branch off into multiple etymologies. And this is really how we need to be looking um, at language and how we need to be deconstructing mythology. Because mythology, as I mentioned earlier, is based upon this ancient uh, discourse. It's based upon this allegoria, this other speaking. Now, this other speaking is also known as ideoglossolalia, which again is this um, private discourse. It's this codified discourse which uses symbology. Specifically, it uses paranomasia. Now, paranomasia is, is, is a word play literally it means other naming um, and, and this is uh, the switching around of language in order to um, generate meanings through symbolism so um, and, and you have different types of symbolism as we mentioned before we have examples for example polymorphic symbolism would be malak an angel is polymorphic or polyformal of malak which is a sailor again closely related to malak a king in english kingship Okay, because the angels are sailors in English kingship. This is the angelic lineage, uh, which denotes the classical tradition. So, um, yeah, I'll I'll just catch my breath there a little bit, and if you have any, <laughs> yeah, that's good, man. Now, you you mentioned Enoch a few times, the, the book of Enoch, I should say, and uh, that that is something I uh, I started reading. I don't know, maybe last year or sometime. Hmm. What what are your thoughts on Enoch? Uh, right. You know, uh, obviously, he, it seems to me he was a, a person of, of significance, right? And mm -hmm. um, he was he ascended to heaven, mm -hmm. as as we're told, and he then became a, a archangel. Yes. And was it was was did did he become Metatron? And is I also want to know is Metatron and Archangel Michael one in the same? Okay, I'll be honest with you. I can't answer the question that you've answered me. I, I'm kind of, I don't have all the answers. I have some of the pieces. Uh, basically, we're, okay. we're almost pulling together fragments. We have fragments of this uh, broken record. And I'm trying to piece this together. And I'm trying to do this through scaphology. But I will come back to Enoch because you seem to be interested in Enoch. Enoch is related to the wording Onok, which is to initiate. So he was initiated and he's writing in this veiled or this elliptical language. Um, but he's also referring, uh, which is at one level, it's astrotheological, um, but is also um, very specifically addressing the Ophanim wheels. Now, the Ophanim wheels is. Well, the modern translation would be a flying saucer, but they, mm -hmm. in the ancient Aramaic, uh, they referred to them as as wheels. Now, 
this is because, as as we know um, from the book, um, I'm trying to be, um, think of the biblical book now, Ezekiel. The wheels, Ezekiel's wheel. Yeah, yeah, Ezekiel's wheels. Now, we know that they're constructions, they're physical constructions, because Ezekiel describes them as a physical constructions. Um, but they're they're made from intersecting wheels. And so these craft, and, and we know that they're craft, we, because we know that the angels, Malak and angel is Malak a sailor, and that the sailors are related to ships, so Kerub, um, a human angel is related to Caribbean, a landing vessel. So these craft, they are constructed through a series of const- concentric um, circles. And so they're put together as a series of cogs. And so they're somehow fitted together um, using uh, a cog kind of technique. So that's how they're actually constructed. Uh, now, the the um, opening wheels are symbolized as a type of chariot and this goes into the symbology of the thrones which is a type of angel as the opening are often described as a type of angel now the wheels are said to be living wheels and this is because uh their craft they employ and i mean we now if you like have the language to begin to really deconstruct this and to understand this because we are becoming a technological species but essentially they're teleological crafts, so they have the ability to communicate and they're using um, artificial intelligence to such an advanced level that they're sentient and aware. So they can be likened to uh, a living creature and they are um, telepathically um, um, connected to the angel's mind. And and again, we're finding some inclinations of this within the Greek. So, for example, within the symbology of um, a boat or a ship, we see that there's a close connection between um, uh, nos, which is um, a boat, and um, nous, which is the mind. We would say in English, a vehicle of the mind. So the mind is a type of vehicle. And again, um, Armonia, which is um, joining, um, is related to Hama, which is a chariot. So this idea of the joining together of the body and the mind, which is a vehicle. And so uh, these vehicles were living wheels. They were described as living wheels. They're connected telepathically to the angels. Um, in, in this respect, the angels, again, can be understood to be a type of jinn. And again, the jinn are often said to be telepathic, and this is found within the Arabic word in karin, which means a constant companion. Um, I translate this as a familiar, a familiar spirit. Um, again, familiar is related to family because uh, it's um, it's um, genetic. Um, but we're seeing that the karin is related um, etymologically in the Arabic to carry, which is telepathic. And so these are telepathic beings. But again, uh, I believe that this telepathy is um, induced through the mind. Now, this is actually really interesting when we look at the ufological traditions, because the aliens, when they communicate, communicate through light. And so when people uh, communicate with these aliens, they often see light. And I believe that they're using some kind of um, beam or light beam in order to communicate directly through the retina and in order to induce certain trance states. And this is something that I'm going to be looking at um, in my new book, which I'm hoping to get out next year. So that's um, we're seeing where there is that relationship there with these beings that can communicate. But they're using light or photon technology in order to communicate. We also know that they're communicating through symbols as well and subliminal symbols, which relates to words 
And um, again, this is a type of neuro-linguistic programming. And it's also closely, uh, if you like, it's a type of entrainment. So they're using a type of hypnosis or entrainment in order to make the human subject pliable. So, and to put ideas or concepts into people's minds. So mm. it's, it's a very complex subject. I'll, I'll let you ask some questions. Very. Wow, that's very interesting. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned the Illuminati a little bit earlier, right? Yes. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I believe in uh, Illuminati or, mm. you know, I believe there is a group of people, elite, whoever it may be that that rule the world, right? I mean, Absolutely. I believe that the presidents and, and all these other people are, are just puppets, right? They're being controlled. Now, could it be so that these Illuminati characters mm. are taking orders from some type of evil angels or some type of evil entities, maybe even those reptilian guys. I mean, this has been something that's kind of, kind of been around in in this circle for years. Is, okay, you let's, believe in that? Um, yeah. You see this again, we're kind of tripping up over language. Okay. okay. And using the ufological tradition is probably quite useful because a lot of people are familiar with the ufological tradition. And if I start talking about angelic sailors, people automatically start getting confused. So, okay. Basically, there was a war in in heaven, and the angels are sailors, and they come from different star systems. So in today's parlance, they are um, an alien. We said before, Tsar is an angel or an alien, and they sail around in boats. Tsar is related to Tsar, a naval captain, Sira, which is a boat. Okay, so, and the non-human host, so non-human crew members of uh, these vessels, which are heavenly vessels, uh, they were at war with each other. And so, therefore, the split within uh, their race uh, the fallen angels, um, they um, split and they all war each, with each other. So therefore, the seraphim, the good guys in the biblical and the Quranic tradition, uh, they are these reptilian angels. They are described as being frightening. And again, within the Bible, there are many references of the fact that the angels are terrifying. Um, and, and then the fallen angels are demonic. And again, within the demonic traditions, What's emphasized is the fact that they are um, grotesque or ugly. This is, if you like, this is a type of uh, neuro-linguistic programming in order to um, vilify the demonic aspect because they're reptilian, they're scary, they're evil. Uh, now, within the biblical and the religious traditions, the seraphim, which again are terrifying to behold, what they tend to do is they uh, represent the fact that they are the shining ones. Again, the shining one is used to denote a serpent because of the serpent skin, which is light. And again, some of these entities, when they appear, sometimes they se seem to shimmer. Uh, again, we can speculate whether this is a projection within the mind, uh, whether this is some type of field. Um, but what we do know specifically about the jinn is that they can disassemble reality. So they, I describe them that they are masters of waveform reality. So reality is composed of um, photons, which are particles, but the particle, depending on the observer, can be disassembled into the waveform. And so they have this ability in order to disassemble themselves. So they can walk through walls and they can make themselves invisible. And this is why the jinn, the etymology of jinn, jinn, serpent, or worm, is closely related to jana, to hide or to conceal. This is the occult tradition relating to the dragon. Now, in the Bible also, remember that the Ruach Elohim are the high spirits. Now, the high spirits, um, the Elohim is, is the terminology for a god or a deity. Now, they are contrasted with an Elake. 
Now, Elake is translated in the Bible as a living God, but again, it's polymorphic because Kea means an animal. And so um, Elake can also mean a high creature. You know, we might translate this as an extraterrestrial biological entity. It has literally the same meaning. A Elake is an extraterrestrial biological entity. It's a high creature. Otherwise, a living God. But remember, as we said before, they have this control over waveform reality, so they can exist outside of time. Um, and therefore, they're represented as the Ruach Elohim, the high spirits. And as we said before, the Elohim are the Erin, which are the watchers of the shining ones, which are the Awim, which are the serpents. As we said before, um, Awim is related to Awa, which is a type of jinn, and Hawa, which is the air, again, the eye spirits because they originate from heaven. Now, I don't want people to think somehow that the jinn are just this kind of like psychic force, which they do use um, psychic control over human beings, but uh, they are physical entities. And we need to be clear about what I actually mean by a holographic culture. So my book, Holographic Culture, goes into this. Um, they, a holographic culture is a culture which has um, deconstructed the mechanics of physical reality. And what they've done, therefore, is if, if you can deconstruct physical uh, reality, then you have the ability to go anywhere within the universe. So they can, they can go from point A to B, uh, no problem at all. You know, Sirius is millions of miles away, but they can get here in the blink of an eye. Um, mm. they're, they're also um, deconstructed the spiritual realm as well because the physical is closely related to the spiritual. So once you deconstruct the physical realm then if you like i almost describe it as um, a freebie maybe i'm being a little bit fr frivolous in my terminology but essentially deconstructing the physical realm leads to the spiritual realm so they've also penetrated the spiritual realm and we know this anecdotally because uh the angels and non-human angels but also humanoid angels appear within near-death experience and they also appear within the shamanic tradition as well so we know that the um, that they that they've um, deconstructed the spiritual realm, and and again even within the Quran, um, Allah is described as the Lord of all of the worlds. Okay, and so we're talking about everything we can conceive of here. We're talking about the physical world, the spiritual world, um, right. outside of time. Okay, and and uh -huh. the jinn also exist, can exist outside of time. So a holographic culture because they've deconstructed material reality they can exist outside of time and so they can appear in the past or in the future because time is of um of no um consequence now right. the evidence suggests that we're dealing here not with a psychic race and i know that there is there's certainly a convincing argument to argue that they're a psychic race, but when we take into consideration that they're described as angelic sailors, and when we take into consideration that their boats um, are described as constructions and that they're physical, so so for example, we said that the opening wheels they're described as wheels, and they're equated with uh, thrones or the throne chariot. The throne chariot again is a spinning wheel. It's used as an esoteric signifier to to refer to a flying saucer. But another way of representing uh, um, the wheels is a shield within the ancient languages. So in Greek, for example, there is this, um, the etymology of oplon, a shield, is related to pleon, which is a boat. And so you have flying shields. So often within ancient texts, they're referred to as flying shields, um, which is this symbol used to denote a boat. 
And um, this is actually really interesting when we look at Greek symbolism and, and the representation of the harpy, because when we look at the representation of the harpy, we see that the harpy is the same as the seraphim. So, for example, we see within the Greek mysteries, the word harpy literally means apoe, which is to abduct. Now, the harpoe are related to um, apto, which is to radiate light or to kindle fire because they are the shining ones. Again, apoe, the abductors, are closely uh, related to upton, a reptile. Um, opolite, a soldier, because they are the military host. They are the um, angelic host. Um, op um Oplon a shield because their vessels are represented as shields. And indeed, even within the ancient statues of harpies, we see that typically the harpy will have a shield. And, and the shield is, uh, uh, I refer to this as a cytological symbol. So cytology is from the wording kutos, which is a vessel. So this is um, a cytological symbol. So the, um, I'm trying to think, the um, symbol of the shield is adorned by the harpy. Um, which is equated with um, Oplon, a shield, Pleon, which is a boat. And so the harpies are abductors. And again, this is important because I think within modern ufology, a lot of the modern abduction literature has been dismissed. And it's almost seen mm -hmm. that the academic remnants of ufology, if you want to call it that, but they almost won't go with the abduction narrative. But when we actually look at the ancient traditions, abduction is ancient, and it goes back to these angelic sailors, which are equated yes. to abduction. So, again, Yahweh wow. Sabaoth, Lord of the Host, Sabah and Amis, Sab, which is abduction. Um, again, the, within within the uh, Greek mysteries as well, Nymphaleptos is to be abducted by the nymphs. So the, the angels are, if you like, represented as abductors. You know, so Seraph and Shovef, which is a captor, one, one who captures. So we're dealing here with um, abductors. So this is something which is very ancient. Again, it goes back into the prophetic traditions as well. I mean, um, Elijah, um, his clansmen would always be looking for him because he was always left on different mountain ranges. Mm, um, and right. so this is um, something which is uh, very ancient. And, and I think that this is really important because... A lot of ufology could um, learn and understand more about, shall we say, the alien components if they actually went back and studied the occult tradition of the angels. Because you, um, and I think that this is also another misnomer as well, because we refer to as UFOs, which is something which is unidentified. And again, this term is really coming from Project Blue Book. Uh, and I always say, and I write this in my book, Holographic Culture, that the, the crowning achievement of Project Blue Book project uh, blue book for those people who are not aware uh, the military the air force um, did a study of ufos which was basically um, they were trying to um, undermine the ufological phenomenon but essentially project blue book um, the crowning achievement of project blue book was to give the label unidentified because these are not unidentified objects these are identified objects and in the ancient mm -hmm. zarene Angel or an alien is equated with Sira, a boat. They are equated with the classical tradition, classis a naval fleet, which is the angelic tradition, Malak an angel, Malak a sailor. So this is something which is understood. And I would go even further than this. You know, this is not unidentified. This is something which can be understood. It can be pigeonholed. It can be deconstructed. Hmm. It can be tagged. It can be labeled. And in fact, within the ancient languages, and 
I, I touch upon this in my book, Holographic Culture, but I have a lot more uh, material on this, which is unpublished because I've got thousands of pages of unpublished material. But nice. I, I refer to this as numismatological symbolism, and it's a mouthful, but essentially in the ancient world, they classified these Ophanim wheels as different weights, and so they used different coins to represent the Ophanim wheels. Now, this links into the tradition of redemption, redemir, which is to buy back, the redemption of sin um, is used um, to denote money. Money is used as this um, symbol of the opening wheels because it's round. And again, if you look at um, coins, even very old coins, they have a serrated edge, which represents the cog. So uh, wow. this is used to denote the opening wheels. And again, even when we're looking at, let's say, the idea of um, the atonement of sin and the, the idea of weighing sin, again, the uh, the scales are um, these are circuit are circular and are used to denote the opening wheels, which are equated with redemption and sacrifice, and and the gods are equated with um, blood sacrifice. In in the modern study of ufology, this would be animal mutilation, um, but within the um, um, angelological study, uh, this would be equated to the gods and blood sacrifice. So Theosa god is related to Thusia, uh, which is to sacrifice and um and there are um, plenty of, of analogies in, in terms of uh, for example we could say uh we've got um, the carabim as we said before carib which is a, a landing boat but again closely related to carab which is to sacrifice because these boats are equated with um, animal mutilation and um and and so again even with uh Sabaoth, the host um, Sabah and Am is related to Zabak, which is to sacrifice. Tabak, which is a platter. Again, through the morphology, this idea of um, Tabak is closely related to Teva, which is an ark, which is a ship or an ark. So these circular vessels are arcs. And, and again, the analogy would be picked up within the Greek as in ark, which is a curve, or ark, which is a boat, because these are circular boats, are circular vessels equated with blood sacri sacrifice. And again, even when we go into the Germanic languages, the word God uh, is coming from the Semitic root Gedwood, meaning the host. And again, Gedwood is related to Gada, which is to mutilate um, or, or to chop into pieces. Again, it has a close, um, it has this connotation of also to decapitate. And, and again, this is where you're finding the symbology within Islam of decapitating the infidels because this is going back into the angelic host and the symbology of the head. But you see, the head is equated to the opening wheels. And, and as we said before, the wheels are intelligent. And so within um, occult symbolism, for example, within the book of Moses, Moses speaks to the face of God. Now, what do we mean by the face of God? Well, the wording in the book of Exodus, panim a face, is related to the root pana, which is to turn. Now, this is important because pana to turn is the same root where we get the word ofan, which is a wheel. So when Moses was talking to the face of God, he was actually talking to a wheel. And But this is wow. a codification. So he was talking to a flying saucer, which was the face of God, which was uh, yeah. a living house, the, the alake, a high creature, which is equated with the ofaning wheels, which are these boat ships, vessels, also represented, as we said, with the wheel and the chariot and the throne, are on the other side as the boat, ship, and the shield. And again, the shield, if you imagine within uh, the ancient mysteries, 
the shield not only was related to um, Pleon about and Oplon a shield, but it was also used as a missile. So the, the idea of a, a Lord of the Host equated with a shield, yes, the shield at one level is defensive, and we will go into that symbology in a moment, but the shield was also used as a missile. So the shields were put into catapults, and, and, and they would um, fill them up with um, hot sand and sometimes with um, hot hot excrement as well and they would seal the shield and they would be massive shields and they would fling them from catapults and there would be these giant metallic frisbees which would be used to uh, demolish walls and sink vessels and so hmm. so when we're talking about shields right in their ancient mindset not only were they thinking of shields boats and ships and the codification of a ship but they were also thinking of a missile now you see the problem is is in terms of translation because when we think of the word missile we think of something which is long and elong elongated like a rocket right but within the ancient right. world when they thought of a missile they thought of a, a circular frisbee a large circular right. frisbee or a shield a large okay. shield and so the missile missilis uh, a missile is equated with a missionary, a, a missionary of God, which is equated with a mission, which has a military connotation. But the um, missionary of God is equated to an emissary, which is an angel. Okay. And a, a, another word uh, for a, a, an emissary is um, kabar. The kabar is a, an ancient word to enumerate, but has this connotation of an angelic emissary. But, but again, it's a wordplay because in the ancient hieroglyphic, Kaaba, uh, a missionary, is related to, um, let's think, Kaaba, which is a son of a star. So an emissary who is an angel is a son of a star and uh, is closely um, analogous to Al-Kaab, which is the dog star within the Arabic, which again relates to Kabir, which is the lord of the Kabiroi. Uh, so again, Kabir, which is a lord. So we're seeing again that lordship is is related to uh, the veneration of the dog stars. We said before there is this relationship between God and dog um, in English, Allah and Awa, which is to bark and, and God, in, in the Latin Lato Apollo, Latro to bark or to snarl. Uh, again, even within the Japanese, and I mean this is again polyglottal symbolism. So in the Japanese, uh, we have the Tengu, which are the heavens dog. Now, the Evans dog is this uh, representation of these um, reptilian entities which come from Sirius. But in the Japanese, Kami god is related to Okami, which is a wolf. So again, this representation of the dog star, which is equated with Tengu, which are these reptilian um, entities or hosts. Now, interestingly, Tengu is related to Tango, which is a word. As we said before, uh, the old Babylonian word, um, Akan Seraph is related to Akar to talk or to speak and again the angel the root of angel Amar which is to speak or to command a again we're seeing that there's a relationship in the um, Hebrew as well so we've got the Seraphim Safa which is language uh, Sefer which is a book again Taban which is a serpent Tab which is a book this is a book of the serpent. This is, if you like, this is the philosophical tradition. Sophist, which is knowledge, is an anagram of office, which is a serpent. You know, so these literally were the brothers of the serpents. The philosophers were the brothers of the serpent. And this goes into the partition of knowledge between non-human angels, which are the seraphim, uh, Puthosagoras, Pythagoras. Puthosagoras is the uh, speaker of the serpent. And he is contrasted with the Euclidean tradition. Euclid 
is a diptych paranomasia. This wordplay, which maybe I should stop here, but I'll, I'll just finish this point and then I'll let you ask some questions. But Euclid is this humanist tradition. So Euclid literally in Greek means good glory, but it's a diptych paranomasia. It's a wordplay in the Arabic of Euclid, which is to copy or to ape. Now, for those who are not aware, uh, Euclid wrote the um, treatise on geometry, the elements of geometry. So mathematics copies or apes the external world. world. But the but the idea of copying or aping is going back to the Arabic etymology of curd, which is an ape. So the ape is used as this esoteric uh, motif to refer to the humanist tradition. The other way, the, the humanist mm. tradition can be represented as thoth, which is also represented as a baboon. But again, the baboon is this double signifier because the baboon, although it's a mammal and it man menstruates and is related to the oracle priestess, it has this dog-like snout, snout and it also barks as well. Mm -hmm. So again, this um, has a very strong connotation of the dog star. But again, this idea of the human humanist tradition, which is partitioned with uh, the seraphic tradition. And, and this is basically the partition within this, the priesthood, whether we're dealing with the Sunni and the Shiite, the Catholics and the Protestants. This all goes back uh, to the Euclidean Pythagor Pythagorean dialectic, which is the dialectic of the partition of knowledge uh, between the humanist tradition or the um, knowledge given to human beings by human angels, which were the cherubim, um, from Carib, which is a boat or a vessel, and then the seraphim, which is this non-human angels, which gave knowledge, again, equated with um, Safina, um, Safina, which is a, a ship or, or a vessel. So uh, I'm, I'm going to pause there. I'm, I'm sorry, I've kind of rambled on as I, as I usually do, but um, I'm... I'm no, nah, don't be sorry, Pierre. Don't yeah. be sorry, you're fine, man. You're yeah, fine, yeah. you're a wealth of knowledge, and I appreciate you, man. <laughs> Um, you know, we're talking about angels, good and bad angels, and mm. maybe different spirits, entities, gods, sons of gods. Where does God, the Almighty, uh, play into all this? In your opinion, what are your thoughts on it? Okay, uh, I like I, I I certainly like the Gnostic in, interpretation of God. I see God as a universal field. It's the field of intelligence. It's the force which binds the universe together. It's mm -hmm. absolute love. It's compassion. It's mm -hmm. that which is spiritual, but it manifests physically. And again, within the Gnostic tradition, the aeon is this emanation which emanates. So you have that which is timeless, which is the singularity, which emanates into the temporal order, which is the physical realm. And this is really, if you like, the manifestation of the spirit, the waveform, which is um, particularized as the particle. In Platonic philosophy, this was understood as universal forms. So a universal form is an idea or a concept. And the, the, the idea is linked into the spiritual realm. Now, the spirit is then manifested. It's manifested as a particular form, as Plato described this. So this is the particularization of the form. If you like, it's the juxtaposition between the implicit order, which is the spiritual realm, which is explicated or manifested into the physical realm of physical objects. And the Gnostics saw this as the, the fragmentation of God um, at one level or forgetfulness, because when, um, when there is the particularization of the form, then the form, if you like, becomes um, sentient and becomes 
I won't say separate because it's impossible to be separate from God. How can you be separate from God? That's a contradiction in terms. But what the human being is suffering from is forgetfulness. Now, within the Greek mysteries, forgetfulness is equated with death uh, because the etymology of death, um, leth, lethal in English, is related to, to forget. And so, therefore, eternal life was... Um, concordant with remembrance in order to remember now i refer to this as the soul pattern it's about remembrance and facilitating remembrance means that you have control in the next life in the spiritual realm of ideas um, so the spiritual realm is this realm of ideas and you can be it's almost like a dream when you die if you cannot control the the finer level of reality which is the spiritual realm which is the realm of ideas then you become almost swallowed up in the spiritual in in, in the spiritual realm of ideas it is it's the same when you go to sleep so when you dream um you forget that you're um dreaming and you can be carried away with the veracity of the dream even though at one level it's an illusion, but at another level, it's even more real because we're dealing here with the realm of ideas. The mind is reconnecting to the spiritual realm. Now, the idea is to control the dream through lucid dreaming. And through controlling the dream through lucid dreaming, then you have mastery over the soul pattern, which is to control the spiritual realm. And through, if you like, having insight and remembrance into the spiritual realm and connecting to the spiritual realm, then when you die, you are cognizant within the spiritual realm and therefore you can control your incarnation. And, and this is important because we're not dealing here with reincarnation because remember that the spirit realm is outside of time. So you can incarnate into the future or into the past. And you can also incarnate into a better version of the future or the past because here we're wow. dealing with multiplicity of realms. We're dealing with what Pythagoras referred to as the Pythagorean monochord. Uh, the monochord is the, so basically the universe is vibration. So force mm -hmm. is vibration. The universe is congealed together through vibration. And you have the mm -hmm. slowest vibration or the lowest musical note, which is physical matter. But the highest vibration is the spirit. And the universe, right. if you like, the string um, holds this together. So the spirit and the physical are one and the same. And, and again, there are intimations of this within the etymology of, let's say, um, animal and animus, which is the spirit. Um, uh, and again, there are, within the Aramaic as well, kea is an animal. You've got um, aya, which is um, an apparition. But the, the, the intimation is that the spirit and the physical form are one. And again, this is really, if you like, the duplicity between the waveform or, or, if you like, the dichotomy, should I say, would be perhaps a better description um, between the waveform and then the particle, the, the particularization of the particle, which is, which is, again, as I mentioned before, is going black, back into platonic philosophy of the universal forms and particular forms. Again, the string theory is harping back, to use uh, a, a metaphor, um, of um, the Pythagorean string, ther string theory, you know, string theory. This idea of vibrating strings is something which is which is very ancient, but again, is found in the word universe. The verse is, 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 you know, it's one note, as in Pythagoras's monochord. It's it's one single note. Wow. Okay. Very so, interesting. So, <laughs> and, and remember, as we said before, that 
the holographic culture, the Elakea high creature, which are otherwise can dematerialize as the Ruakello and the high spirits, they they have deconstructed the mechanics of physical reality. So they are both a part of physical reality, but they are also separate from it. Now, I believe that humanity, that we ourselves, we are on the brink of becoming a holographic culture. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. So, and again, we would do this through uh, technology. I believe that um, CERN is, is really about looking at these types of experiments and we're okay. on the brink of deconstructing that. Now, I don't know how long this is going to take. You know, it, it may take it may take just decades. We may already be there, or it, mm-hmm. it may take a couple of hundred years. But we're certainly on the verge of becoming a holographic culture. I refer to this in my book as um, the apotheus convergent, which apotheus literally means um, to become a deity. So this is where men will become like gods. Uh, this is kind of. Uh, inferred within the book of genesis if we remember the tower of babel the yellow is down and they separate the languages of mankind because they say that um if men will become like like the elohim they will become like us and so they separated the language but with inside of the language they put in the artifact now as i said before the artifact is this control mechanism or this code or signature found within human language uh which denotes the um the others it denotes this angelic contingent and so we're finding these universal word plays um within within multiple languages which which really pertains to the others and the angelic contingent wow so a holographic wow that that's crazy it makes me think of the matrix when you when you talk about uh, I think holographic analogies are useful and i think one of the reasons why we can now understand the angels better and understand their technologies better is because we're developing the same technologies. And mm-hmm. again, these technologies arguably, I mean, at one level they, they are derived from um, these technologies. You know, I, I think that they're the priesthood, they've had these um, technolo- technologies for a long, long time. Um, and so, you know, so within the Roman mysteries, uh, Numa, um, the, the, a shield fell from heaven and uh, you had a King Numa who instituted um, Rome um, and was one of the first kings of Rome. The shield fell and uh, they made, a, it, basically Allegra mentioned that whoever um, had possession over the shield, they would be the dominant nation on the planet. Now this shield, mm. as we said, is a flying saucer. So these devices are very old and they're buried at temple sites. And this is why... Um, Temples are related to boat iconography and boat symbolism. So, for mm-hmm. example, we see Nauas, which is a temple in the Greek, is related to Nos, which is a boat. We find the same polyglottal wordplay within uh, the Christian mysteries also. So you have the nave of a church, which is related to Navis, which is a boat. We would say worship because they were worshipping these angelic vessels, these angelic boats or sailors. Um, again, it's polyglottal. It's found within the Arabic. Sabar is to praise or to glorify. Sabar is the host, Sabaoth, the angelic host. Yahweh Sabaoth, as we said before, related to Seva, which is a crew of a vessel. Teva, which is an ark. Again, ark and archon, or alkas in the Greek, a large carrier vessel. So they were venerating and worshipping these deities. And again, 
we're seeing that the votive dish also is used to represent uh, these vessels. As we said before, there is this close analogy with uh, blood sacrifice and the angelic host. So sabah host, sabak, which is sacrifice. Gedwood, again, another word for host, where we get the etymology of God. Again, the old root guard is to look. Again, theos god, theoros a watcher, as we said. Erin a watcher is a shining one, which is sulfur for watcher, seraph a serpent. So these are non-human entities, which are watchers, equated with the shining ones. But they're also equated with blood sacrifice. So the uh, votive dish is round, and typically it has um, a little... Um, dot in the middle like a raised part within the middle now this represents a wheel this is an opening wheel um, again it's a visio paranomasia so it's also used to denote a shield because the the uh, wheel is uh, a visio paranomasia of a shield a shield goes on the boat as we said before but it's also catapulted so it's a type of flying missile um, now the uh, shield also relates to a, a family shield because a family shield denotes one who is highborn. Noblest is to know. Gnosis, which is knowledge. Nos, which is a boat or a ship, which is going back to the angelic tradition, which is the classical tradition. So this is all coming out. I mean, at some level, we're dealing here with the apocalypse, apocalypse, which is to reveal. Now, right, what, it is coming out. I was going to ask you about that too. What do we mean by revealing? What well, we mean disclosure? To disclose is to reveal. It's the same thing. It's the same word. Yes, yes. And speaking of disclosures, just going back to the UFO thing, obviously earlier this year there was a lot of conversation, discussion, what have you, coming from a lot of government officials as well, saying we're going to release some information. At least they led people to believe that they were. Mm -hmm. And that seemed to kind of fizzled out, right? And then I also think about the uh, uh, President Eisenhower here in the States many moons ago, where he allegedly made a pact with the alien, the greys. Um, is that a, you know, urban legend or, or is that legit? Because, I mean, I, I think it could be possible. Okay. Um, well, we've, first of all, we've already had disclosure because we've got partial disclosure. Uh, this is no, yeah. this, uh, this, this is a classified secret, as I said before, but this is also an open secret and it was also revealed in the mysteries. So this is an open secret, mm -hmm. which is encoded within our institutions and symbology. The problem is, mm -hmm. is that the general problem, uh, the general public are not literal within the symbolism, but also remember, we've also had, um, Disclosure from uh, President Kursan as well. Now, I can't remember, he was president of one of the smaller Russian uh, republics, I think before the, um, before the fragmentation of the Soviet Union. Now, he, he, he's made YouTube videos about this. You know, and he said that basically he, was, he went into a tube and he was taken by humanoid aliens and he, and he spoke to them and had conversations with them. Now, it's not just his word, but um, there were three people, who, uh, two other witnesses. There was a senior minister, and uh, and remember he was the president, and um, and also his chauffeur. And he he says in the interview he wouldn't have believed it if he had not had um, if he hadn't have had those witnesses. Now it caused such a stir within the Soviet Union that they had a massive um, investigation into this. Um, because again, I mean, he, he disappeared for, I don't know how long, but for a number of hours and they investigated this and he actually attributes the reason why he lost his uh, election was that the uh, Soviet Union got very skittish about him having power because he'd been in communication hmm. with uh, uh, aliens, the humanoid aliens. So, so we've got disclosure, 
Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, it's just it's not being propagated. So, but the, the, the communication between the elite and these angelic beings is, is very ancient. It goes back into the ancient world. It, it's not something which is new. This has occurred for a long, long time. But okay. as I said before, we've, we've got... We've got, if you like, this open secret, and this has been disclosed for thousands of years. But in terms of actual disclosure, I think we're making, if you like, small baby steps towards uh, disclosure. And I also, okay. I also think that the um, transsexual issue is, is towards disclosure. And I think it also links into things such as dyeing your hair different colors and also tattooing as well, because... Um, body art and this goes back into the ancient traditions of body art would be to make yourself look less human to make yourself look more reptilian and so body art uh, emphasis towards um, androgenins is a type of trying to get people used to the idea of different types of beings which are androgynous and so uh, so it's like a programming maybe social engineering this is like that huh? well in my opinion this is a type of social engineering and, and this is really going back into um, well, within academia, this would be known as the Hegelian dialectic. Um, within economics, the Hegelian dialectic is, is basically you've got feudalism, uh, which is uh, uh, the thesis. Then the antithesis um, is capitalism. And then you've got the synthesis of the ideas of feudalism and capitalism, which is communism, according to the um, Hegelian dialectic. But we're really seeing the synthesis of ideology now. So we're moving towards, if you like, um, there's a removal of state bound boundaries and there's an attempt to remove uh, nationality. There's an attempt to remove race, gender. Um, and so this is all moving towards one religion, which is one world government, which is augmented under the all-seeing eye. The all-seeing eye is Dracon, Dracos and I, Dracane to watch. The dragon is used to denote the seraphim angels, um, which are identified with Sirius. Now, they are also equated with the planters of worlds as well. And so the boat is used to denote Sirius. And uh, I'd like to go into the symbology because I actually think that this is fascinating. So Please do, yes. Occult symbolism, uh, humanity was planted on the earth by uh, the angelic host. And so we're seeing that there is this uh, relationship between Zah, which is an angel. It's polymorphic of an alien stranger. So Zah, as we said, is related to Sira, which is a boat. Now, Sira, a boat, is a diptych paranamasi. This is a fancy word, meaning that the word, Hebrew word Sira is a wordplay on the Arabic word Sira, which means Sirius. So in um, occult symbolism, the Ben Sira, a son of a boat, is also interchangeable. It's a dil logos. It's a double speech of um, the sons of Sirius. They are also represented as the shining ones. And they're also represented as the Illuminati. We can go into that in, in a moment. So we see uh, that Sira about is Sira about is related to Yetzira, which is creation, and Yetzer, which is a creature. And so Zar, an angel or an alien, again, is closely uh, related to uh, Zara, which is, um, um, let's see, um, seed, and, and Zaria, which is to sow, hold on, Zara, which is to sow, and Zaria, which is seed. And so they seeded the earth with creatures. As we said before, yes, Sira, creature, Sira, which is a boat. And Sira, a boat, is related to Zar, which is an angel or an alien. 
and zara, which is to sow. So they seeded the earth. And this is known in Greek philosophy as panspermia. Panspermia, spermatos seed. Again, this was um, propagated by the Greek philosopher uh, Anaxagoras. I can't say his word, um, his name now. Anaxagoras, okay, the speaker of the prince or the speaker of the leader, the king. As we said, anax is this diptych paranomasia. So the word anax in Greek, prince, is related to anak in the Hebrew, which is uh, a giant. They are the sons of the giants, which are the mm -hmm. nephilia, which is Orion. So they are related to Orion. This is why within Egyptology, the pyramids are, again, related to Orion. And, and they're not tombs, and, and we know this for sure, because haram, a pyramid, again, related to ram, which is lofty. Again, ram, lofty, which is equated the Elohim, the high ones. But haram, a pyramid, is closely related to harim, and that which is prohibited. These were female quarters, or these were temples, and they were closely related to sexual magic and fertility and again they're aligned to orion and, and sirius and, and the different star constellations but the pyramids are really this relating to this um ethel for um i tried saying a clever word there but it didn't slip out but basically um they're related to this tradition uh, of the marriage of heaven and earth and and so the pyramids are um denotational of uh, the covenant of heaven and earth and symbolized as Orion. So Orion is really important in terms of the um, agreement or contract made between the Elohim and humanity. So if you like, if, if you look at the star systems within the symbology, Sirius is related to Dogstan Seraphim. You've got Orion, which is related to um, the creation of the Adamic man. Again, it's also related to the bastardization of the lineage with the Watchers. Um, again, related to Orion. So you've got Yad al-Jazza, the hand of Orion. Uh, Yad is, again, related to Judah. Yad to know. Um, Judah, which is height. So Yad al-Jazza, the hand... Um, um, sorry, Yad al-Jazza, the the hand of Orion, um, again, is relating to the hidden hand. The hidden hand is relating to the Nephilim or this covenant or contract uh, between the fallen angels and humanity and mankind. So, um, so yeah, I mean, the symbology is extremely complex. And I'm, I, I'm only just scraping the, the surface. Yeah, I bet. Right. This is this infinite. Is <laughs> I mean, this has taken me um, – 18 years of intense research. Wow. So, I mean, I've read dictionaries because the way into penetrating the symbol is through language, it's through the deconstruction of the word because the symbol is really like, um, it's an encyclopedia of knowledge and it's layered. Uh, the Muslims have a very good word for this. They refer to it as Wuju al-Quran. Uh, this means the forgotten recitation, literally. And, and this is the esoteric or codified tradition of the Quran. Now, amongst the more conservative uh, Muslims, they will tell you that the Quran is all literal and there's no symbolism. But there is an occult tradition to the Quran, which is the Wujual Quran, which um, is the forgotten recitation. Now, it's a homonym. It's a polymorphic word. It, the Wuju al-Quran also means a polymorphic word in Arabic. And this is because Wuju al-Quran um, is the study of polymorphic words within the Quran. Because 
uh, the Illuminati, they encode themselves through paranomasi, through wordplay. So they use polymorphic language or words with multiple meanings to give an example, Malak an angel, Malak a sailor, in order to en encode their um, um, themselves. So, for example, within um, Islam, for example, you will often have the Bismillah and it's written out um, in calligraphy. But sometimes the calligraphy of the Bismillah is written out as a ship. And the ship is to denote the Lord of the host. This is the angelic retinue, Malak an angel, Malak a sailor. So again, this is going back into the angelic or classical tradition. And again, many of the ideas which are found within the Quran are also um, found within Greek and Emetic philosophy and also within um, Egyptian and uh, Emeticism as, as well. So, for example, you've got Iblis, which is the fallen angel, but Ubris, which is um, pride. Uh, again, pride against a deity within the Greek symbolism. So mm. Iblis is going back to the Greek etymology. And um, again, um, even the Kirim and Katabin, which are the noble recorders, uh, which record um, the good and the bad deeds of mankind. So humanity or each individual is said to have a good and a bad recorder. Sometimes they're referred to as receptors and they record your good and your bad deeds. But within... Um, Greek philosophy, there was such a thing as the Agatha daemon, uh, which was your good daemon, and then you had the Kako uh, daemon, which was a bad daemon. Um, and, um, and, and, and again, this was uh, related to the dialectic because Socrates himself was said to have had these same two daemons, which in the Arabic is the Kiraman Katabin. In the, um, in, in the Greek traditions, this is the Agatha daemon, the good daemon, Kako daemon, which is a bad daemon, which is uh, where um, Socrates got his dialectic from. So the dialectic mm. the thesis and the antithesis, which is uh, the argument and the counter-argument, is coming from his good daemon and his bad daemon. Um, so the Socratic tradition of debate and discourse, which goes back to the dialogue, dialogos, which is doublespeak, um, is is going back to the daemonic world, and again that this also fits in with the conscious and subconscious mind, because within the ancient world, the conscious mind uh, was the human mind, and the subconscious mind was the daemonic mind, and so we're mm. seeing really Cicero talked about the irrational mind, um, which is the daemonic mind, and the rational mind, which is, is the mind of man, and so we're seeing that the irrational mind is really the subconscious mind and the rational mind is the conscious mind. So really the linchpin of um, analytic philosophy is going back to these ancient concepts about the daemonic world and uh, mm. going back to the Kirim and Katabin or within the Greek traditions, the Agatha daemon, the good daemon, and the um, Kako daemon. So, so yeah, and um, yeah, so um, that's something very yes, uh... interesting. I, I think... <laughs> Yeah, so I think certainly when you're looking at the Quran, there's um, I think many of the wordplays work within the Greek, and I think that this is something which is not really valued or appreciated within Islamic discourse, and it's a whole field which could be massively opened up. So the study of Arabic and Greek wordplays, this diptych paranomasi, is something which is very interesting. And, and again, so we're seeing, if you like, there's this uh, Gnostic and Emetic tradition, which is found heavily encoded within the Quran. And also you're seeing uh, the Judaic mysteries as well. And so in the Quran, you're also seeing the um, elements of uh, the Judaic priesthood as, as well. Uh, the Judaic priesthood were known as the uh, Sodi. So the, the Sod is the priesthood of Moses, related to Sod, which is a secret 
equated with Sauda, which is black. Again, this is Saudi Arabia. This is why Saudi Arabia is a very close tie to the um, to the Judaic priesthood because the Saudi mm. are uh, the priesthood of Moses, and the um, Saudi black um, is closely related to Shed, which is a ghost goblin ghoul or jinn. Now, remember that the old word name for Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of the Host, another name was El Shaddai. El Shaddai yes. is right. Well, coming from the etymology of shed, a goblin, ghost, ghoul, demon, jinn. You know, these are all etymologies, but they're strictly relating to Sauda, that which is black. Um, but again, as this connotation of the Ruach Elohim, the high spirits. And so this idea that the angelic host is spirit light because it can dematerialize, it's invisible, jana to hide or to conceal, relates to jinn. Um, but they can materialize in physical reality. They are a LRK, they are a high creature, they can manifest physically. And so, wow, yeah. So <laughs> within the medical traditions, the angels um, are said to be mortal. They can be killed, and even it's insinuated within the Quran. Um, in, I think it's in Al Shura. Um, the ships. Uh, it, it states that basically the the ships of Allah are the size of mountains. And again, this is going back to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel describes uh, ships as the size of mountains, which are these opening wheels. Um, mm -hmm. But, but essentially, um, they can be sunk. So the, the wow. just okay. destroyed. The passengers are angels. So this again is alluding to the ideas that the angels are these physical beings. Now, within a metic tradition and also within um, Quranic uh, philosophy, also the jinn are said to have this inordinate lifespan. Now, according to the emetica, this is because they have conquered knowledge. This is metanoia, which is this meta knowledge. So. They have uh, this refined learning, and this refined learning gives them, if you like, this extended life expectancy. And so this is through knowledge. And so, again, we're dealing with um, a, a species of being which are very intelligent. Again, right. sapient to be intelligent is related to serpent. You know, right. Jin and Gioni is to be brilliant in the ancient um, languages. You know, so... Uh, even Shaitan Shatir, which is clever in, in the Semitic. Uh, so this, this idea that uh, the angels are extremely clever is, is something which is certainly propagated within the ancient mysteries. So oh, there's okay. a few, okay. few um, ideas for your uh, listeners. Or, <laughs> uh, That's good, man. That's good. Hey, I got a couple more questions for you here, and then we're, we're going to wrap it up, man. I appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing your knowledge with with us all. So you mentioned, as well. thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm curious yeah, about something. For you, if you've got any questions or you want to interject, I'm I'm very happy for you to kind of fire away. Um, but I, you know, I can't promise I can answer all your questions. Uh, a lot of what I study is, shall we say, very specialized knowledge, and so so yeah. But anyway, please feel free to ask. I'll try. I'll try my best. You mentioned magic uh, a few minutes ago, several minutes ago. Yeah. Does magic really exist? Is is that something that's real? Yeah. Well, how do we differentiate that which is technological and that which is magical? And again, when we're dealing with the spiritual realm, the idea can be materialized physical, physically. So this is this idea of uh, will it will or intention philema, which is will or to to intend. Okay. Um, but, so there is this, if you like, the spiritual realm of ideas which can be manipulated in the physical realm. And this really uh -huh. is the linchpin of 
Western occult um, philosophy and Western occult magic. Now, the word magic comes from magikos or the magi, and, and the magi are this uh, Persian priesthood. Um, but again, um, you know, when we refer to magic, are we just referring to things like telepathy? Because there are different levels to telepathy. There is intuition and knowing in which you are literally reading the waveform. And then there is this technologically imbued um, telepathy, which the Karin, the familiar spirits use, uh, which, mm -hmm. uh, again, we said carry, they're telepathic. So mm -hmm. so we're dealing here with uh, different, different levels of knowledge. So, yes, I mean, at one level, magic does exist, and the universe is magical. We, we exist, and this is the greatest True. mystery of all, isn't it? So, yes, magic does exist. Um, magic can be used beneficially. It can be used negatively. Um, and, again, why are some people successful? And so other people are not, and it's through sheer willpower. So there is this, if you like, this deterministic attribute to the universe, which is connected to the spiritual realm of ideas. Uh -huh. So if a person gets this insidious idea into their head that they're going to be successful and they can't get that idea out of their head, lo and behold, often they are successful. And again, even with things like the placebo, the placebo has this magical effect because it affects the realm of ideas, which is the spiritual realm, which then mm. materializes in the physical realm. Even, I mean, I'm a practitioner of Tai Chi and the energy field affects the body. So when you become sick, first of all, it appears on the energy field and then it manifests physically. And this is the mm. same if a person is mentally sick, then they're often physically sick. And so there is this close concordance between physical wellness and uh, spiritual and mental wellness. Now, could, could mental, mental, someone mentally ill, could it be a possession? Is that since, you yes. know, we're talking about spirit? You know, uh, this, this is very true. Uh, remember that the wording uh, dementia is related to daemon. This is to be out, out in the Arabic, the word plays polyglottal. So in Arabic, majan is, is to be mad or to be crazy. Um, mm -hmm. It literally means to conceal the intellect. As we said before, jana is to hide or to conceal, which is related to the jinn. So in the Arabian tradition, madness is equated with the intellect being concealed by the jinn, which leads to mad madness. In the Latin, this would be dementia, which is equated with daemon, a demon. So... Um, well, daemons and demons. The demon is the fallen aspect of the daemon. The daemon is equivalent to a seraphim or an angel because they were seen as being, um, often they were seen as being beneficial. Um, whereas I think the terminology daemon is used in a more neutral sense, but typically they were often seen as being um, beneficial. But they, they were also um, denigrated and they were demonized and therefore the fallen host, as we said before, which are these um, military hosts, this naval host, this partition within the military house led to the denigration of this demonic element, which became demonized. Hmm. Oh. Very interesting. Very interesting. And then and one last thing for you, Pierre, what are your thoughts on the, uh, I'm very interested to know your thoughts on the Mandela effect. You know, I learned about this a couple of years ago, did some additional research, but I, I know you, you're talking about uh, the holographic culture yeah. and, so, yeah, what's, what's, what's up with that? Well, I think that this is an interesting idea. As we talked about the multiverse and this multiplicity of numerous ideas, so if you like, time doesn't exist, and right. there are many different versions of reality, and it's accessing different realities. And 
you know, I would say, well, I, I, I would put this question to the audience, but I would say, you know, is it possible to traverse multiple different realities? And is it possible to access a better reality? So really what we're trying to do is to access a, a better version of this reality. And again, there are interesting philosophical questions. So for example, is are people in different almost time zones? And is it possible for a person almost like on a different track of a tape to at one point be on a certain track and on a certain time zone and then just flip and go into a different version of the same reality or a different version of a different reality. Uh, I would say that this is possible. Uh, again, it's effectuated very subtly, but I would say that the Mandela effect are these um, contradictions which are found within the matrix, or they seem to be contradictions because we've experienced them at multiple levels. If you like, the salt pattern records or the soul has existed since the beginning of time or since mm -hmm. the dawn of time and therefore the soul pattern it, it as if you like if the soul exists and it exists outside of time then the soul pattern has every every possibility of every different life and it is possible to access some of these memories and again as i said before mm -hmm. My understanding of this is that there are different versions of the same reality. So again, mm -hmm. you can access different versions of the same reality, which would essentially be the Mandela effect. But again, wow. I think the Mandela effect is not, I, th I think, again, it's used as an occult word because I don't think that they're referring to Nelson Mandela. I actually think that they're referring to um, a Mandela as in um, the, a Buddhist Mandela. You know Buddhist you, Mandela. Yeah, um, I I'm not sure what the etymology is. Can we check this up? Have you got the ability to check it up online, Mandela? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's put the word um, Mandela meaning because it's um, it would be – but I, I think it's interesting that when you look at the modern statues of Buddha, that Buddha is sitting on a lotus leaf. One of the old words for a lotus leaf in the Sanskrit is a cog. And so the lotus leaf is used to denote this cog, uh, which is equated with the opening wheels within the Semitic traditions. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. So there's lots of um, scaphological um, symbol, symbols, um, boat symbols within Buddhism. It's not something that I've looked at or studied, but I just think that for anybody who's interested in languages and they want to deconstruct the ancient Sanskrit, there is this whole burgeoning field of scaphological motifs uh, within the encodings of the um, Sanskrit, um, within the Bhagavad Gita and within the Buddhist text, the Lotus, Lotus Sutta. Again, the word Lotus in the ancient Sanskrit can also mean a cog. And this idea of the opening wheels or, or a cog or a Lotus. So this is all, um, you know, this idea of the vehicles of the mind is equating to this scaphological tradition. It's not, as I said, it, it's something that I've kind of touched on and, and looked at, but I haven't gone into any detail in, in my research, but this is a massive field that could be opened up by, you know, scholars who are particularly interested within the Buddhist traditions. So again, I would I would put that to the audience for those etymologists out there who are interested in Sanskrit. Um, I've done very little work into the scaphological tradition in uh, Buddhism, but there's you could write volumes of books within the symbology. It's absolutely there. You know, the wheel of samsara, the the wheel, and how this links into the lotus and Buddha, which is um, knowledge. 
again, you know, when you start translating these into different words, yada is knowledge, yad is a hand, Torah is game coming from the etymology to point, yad al jaza is the star system um, Betelgeuse, as we said before, Nephilia is related to the Nephilim. So these are all relating to astrotheological symbols, um, and they're extremely complex, and they're encoded through language, and they're also encoded through pneumology as well. And this is a whole different mm-hmm. field. It's not my expertise. It's something that I'm familiar with. But essentially, you can encode numbers and words, geometria. And numbers- geometria, I've learned about that recently too over the last year, yes. Yeah, geometria. But again, these encodings then can go into astrotheological symbols. And again, they tie in very closely with um, the mansions and the opening wheels. So the opening wheels are often doubled with astrological symbolism because of the orbits of the planets, which are interconnecting wheels. But again, this is one, if you like, it's a blind. So the astrotheological symbol is used as a blind. It's an important blind because it's telling you about the opening wheels and where they originate from. Um, but the wheels themselves are also physical. So they're equated with um, astrotheological symbolism at one level of encryption, but they're also related to these angelic boats and vessels at another level, which is at this deeply esoteric level. And again, uh, in the book of Ezekiel, I mean, the book of Ezekiel and Ezekiel wheels are so obscure and are so esoteric within Judaism that in order for a Jew to discuss the opening wheels, Sorry, I'm losing my voice. (coughs) A lot of talking. (coughs) But basically... (coughs) Yeah, because they're so secret (coughs) that um, that it's recommended that you have a rabbi to talk about them. So... Mm, okay okay that's interesting man all right so you have you have i see four books on your website holographic culture the murder of reality seven degrees of similar well okay um yeah two of them were dvds but then not out at the moment because i've uh, don't have a supplier um so i've got two books i've got the murder of reality and symbolism of the dragon that's uh approximately 500 pages that goes into the ancient mystery religions and the worship of the serpent agena the, the serpent race i think anybody who's interested in things like the egyptian mysteries and the greek mysteries and how this interplays with the um, worship on veneration of the serpent and serpent deities will find that book very interesting again the emphasis is on symbology and etymology and then i've got holographic culture which is really a new academic field this looks at scaphology as we said before the study of um, angelic boats and ships within the angelic tradition the naval tradition and this is found within the religious and mythological tradition and so holographic culture is the study of these angelic sailors and that goes in as we said before holographic culture goes into the saucer cults and the veneration of these deities and um, blood sacrifice it goes into the angelic sailors and the deconstruction of the different angelic factions um, it looks at the parallel society as well, because we're dealing here with this parallel society. And it looks at the artifacts and the encryption of words um, in languages, particularly through polyglottal symbolism, these universal word plays. So that's um, that's a, a massive book in itself. That's I think that's 550 pages. And that was a combination of 18 years of research, really um, in-depth and, and detailed research. And I have to, I really want to try and impress upon the reader 
our reader, the, the listener, should I say, that the um, holographic culture and the murder of reality, these are unique books. These are, these are not based on what other people say. I think within the alternative media, there's a lot of um, copying of ideas. And so, for example, Zachary Sitchin talks about the Anunnaki, and basically everyone after that just talks about the Anunnaki, and there's a lot of repetition of ideas. Holographic culture and scaphology, the study of these angelic boats and vessels, this is a new academic discipline. It's an important discipline. It relates to the ufological tradition, and uh, it's it's unique. It's never been written about before. It's never been uh, discussed or, or written. It's very, very important in terms of understanding religion, in terms of understanding mythology, in terms of understanding the occult tradition, in terms of understanding ufology, in terms of understanding the spiritual and the physical realm. So mm. now all this interplays with religion and mythology. This is and, and the inner and the outer mysteries. So it, it is something which is new. And I think anybody who's uh, interested in theology, philosophy, uh, mythology, you know, these are really important books because you can't understand the angelic tradition without understanding the scaphological tradition. And as I said before, it's a right, classified right. discourse. It's a hidden discourse which has been encoded or hidden through symbolism. And I'm the first author who's really opened this up as a subject and really looked at this. So, you know, we're no longer... I know there were authors before me like Zachariah Sitchin who talked about that angels were aliens, right? And I think he captivated a whole audience within the 1970s and 80s because people looked at it and they looked at this, uh, if, if you like, from anew and were saying, oh, wow, angels and aliens. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. And, and philosophically, it was a very interesting idea. And, uh, and, and, and I like Zachariah Sitchin's work. And I think philosophically, he's a really interesting author. But they were, in a sense, at an academic level, they were weak because they propounded an idea, but they didn't give uh, the proof. I give the proofs within the holographic culture. And so right. if you um, want to understand scaphology and you want to understand the angelic sailors, then, you know, it's important, I think, to read my books. And then you can take that knowledge away with you and then you can use that to interpret and to understand symbolism better because it will give you a tool set in order to be able to deconstruct the ancient codes. Very good. Very good, Pierre. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. And um, where can they get the book? Tell, go ahead and tell them your website or, or do you have any uh, social media or anything like that? No, that would be really good. Um, okay. You can get my books from PS about books. Um, there's no one else who, who does my books. I, it's only me who, who does the books. So okay. go to my website at Pierre Sabak Books. Okay. Um, you can Google Pierre Sabak, S-A-B-A-K, but it, my website is technically Pierre Sabak Books. Um, also, I've got a YouTube channel, so please subscribe to that. Um, I haven't really put much YouTube on recently because I've been busy writing. I do intend to put up more uh youtube so it's a little bit dormant at the moment but things will appear at some point so again if you're interested in um in, in my work and my ideas and finding out more about my ideas and uh, again um i'm doing i'm writing a couple of books uh, one called um codex and riddles um which is looking at riddles and um paranomasia and ancient en encryptions in terms of word plays um 
And um, that's basically to de deconstruct the symbols of the Illuminati, which is Illuminotics, study of the Illuminati. And uh, I'm also working on a book of fairies as well, because the fairies mm. also relate to the scaphological tradition. So we would say fairy wow. and fairy, which is a boat. In the ancient okay. Canaanite religion, same. Bala sailor, bah, uh, sorry, Bala lord, Bahara sailor, okay? Mm. Bahir, which is shining, so fairy, fiery, um, fairy. Again, with the seraphim, you've got seraph, seraph of fire, Safina, which is a ship. These are polyglottal word plays. So the fairies are basically the scaphological tradition, and I'm writing a book to show that. And I've also got a lot of um, information on uh, daemons and the scaphological tradition as well, but I probably will put that in a different book because, again, that's very detailed. And so basically I want to... When I finished uh, my research, I, I certainly want to show that the daemonic tradition, the fairy tradition, and the angelic tradition are all going back to the scaphological tradition, which is encoded by the mm -hmm. priesthood. So that's essentially what I'm working as. Uh, so please subscribe to my YouTube channel at um, Pierre Sabak. Um, that's my YouTube channel. And go to Pierre Sabak Books if you are interested in um, buying my books. If he... Because postage is really, really expensive from the UK, if you're unsure which book to buy, I recommend Holographic Culture because it's a little bit bigger than uh, Murder of Reality. Murder of Reality is about 500 pages, but it's 550 pages. But it gives a really, really good breakdown of the scaphological tradition and the angelic yeah. statements. And that will, and it also has a glossary of different types of codifications as well. So anybody who's interested in actually beginning to decode the symbols of the Illuminati for themselves, as I said before, this is the study of Illuminotics, uh, then uh, holographic culture is a really good place to start. If, you, if otherwise you're interested in the mystery religions, then the murder of reality might be for you. Okay, thank you very much. Very good. Very good. And one last request for you, Pierre. Oh. One thing that I ask each and every guest to do, I would like for you to leave our listeners with what I like to call a token of love, something that they can take with them going forward. Some good knowledge, man. Yeah, okay. Um, we are obviously living in very troubled times. And um, many people say, well, what can I do to actually help or to assist? And I think that it's important that we all participate. And I kind of want to give an example of uh, the way in which I kind of have participated. So, for example, you know, if um, – so, for example, some people might be a teacher. If you're a teacher, then you can discuss uh, these ideas with your students um, at school and you can begin to um, challenge, shall we say, existing paradigms. Um, if, if you are good on social media, you might want to start – uh, spreading um, alternative ideas and information within the alternative media through social media. I know that this is getting much more increasingly difficult, but I'm sure that there are ways around this. Um, again, if you're unsure what to do, you might just want to post leaflets within your community. Uh, I got involved in my community in terms of fluoride. So I wrote a 300-page report on fluoride because my council was trying to, in, in West Yorkshire, in West Yorkshire, fluoridate the water, and I needed to educate them about fluoride. Now, this wasn't very convenient for me. I, it took me, I think, about six months to write the report. You know, I, I love writing about aliens and angels and the scaphological tradition. This is what I'm passionate about. I'm not passionate about fluoride. I didn't want to do it, but who else right. to do it? And so I did this. And again, uh, I also wrote a book on um, fracking as well. And um, oh wow, okay. yeah, 
and um, and the fluoride report appears on Andrew Johnson's website. He's a UK author. Um, I can't remember his name now. Um, anyway, Andrew Johnson. If you can try and find his his website, it might be difficult by Google, but um, if you try a different search engine. Um, and there's a fluoride report on there. There might also be my book on fracking because I wrote a book on fracking as well. Um, it was called um, Fracking Dying to Know, and that was the first toxicological study on fracking. And again, this was used by Friends of the Earth um, in their court case in the UK. And um, basically, uh, they left the UK, but they are coming back, I think. But so... So again, uh, writing a book on fracking, again, something I wasn't interested in. It's not something I particularly wanted to do, uh, but I did this in order to try and uh, educate the general public. And um, I'm currently writing a book on, on vaccines. And, and again, it's taken a year out of my research from the, the occult and on, from the angelic and scaphological tradition. I was in the middle of my fairy book and I was also writing um, my book on riddles as well. And so that took me away from that. So... I'm not best pleased about that. But in a sense, when necessity dictates, you have to get involved. And I think that this is really important. You know, I know it's an old cliche, but we have to be the change that we want to see. And when we see uh, when we see that there are problems in the world, we have to actively engage with this. We can't just say this is somebody else's responsibility. We have to actively engage. And I think it's like this. It's almost like a circuit board. If one light lights up on the circuit board, then sometimes an adjacent light will light up and another light and another light. Right, right. Almost, right. It, 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 the reason why I wrote the fracking book, which is an interesting story, I kind of turn, turned up to a meeting on fracking in my local area and three people turned up. And this guy gave this fantastic presentation on fracking and he was very, very passionate. You know, it was as though he was addressing 100 people. And afterwards, you know, I walked up to him and I said, you know, you've really made an impression on me. You've made a massive impression on me, right? I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to write a book about it. And I did. I wrote the first toxicological UK report on, um, um, and it was under Yorkshire Lives, um, what was it? Yorkshire Lives Matter Against Fracking. Okay, and I wrote the book, Fracking Dying to Know. If you're interested in that, then you can buy that um from lulu.com fracking dying to know okay that will give you uh the first toxicological study of fracking in the uk it will also give you legal arguments in terms of water purity so if you're having this problem within the states i'm sure many of the laws in the uk will also apply in the united states and so it would be very useful for you to um to, to acquaint yourself with that knowledge. So that's fracking dying to know. And on the front, it's Yorkshire Lives Matter Against Fracking, which is why Yorkshire Lives, YL Matter AM. I can't, I can't remember now, but I can't remember the initials, but Yorkshire Lives Matter Against Fracking. And, that's, um, and that is fracking dying to know. And that's on Lulu. So, so yeah, basically get involved, get engaged, and yes, it's not always convenient, and yes, it's always difficult. And yeah, I would be much, I would have much preferred to um, rather than writing reports for the local council because my local council should have been doing that. That's what I pay my council to do. Instead, I had to take out six months from my writing, which I didn't get paid to do, in order to do it. Right, and it's not something that I was particularly interested in. Um, mm -hmm. But 
but I had to be focused because, you know, I had to write it as though, you know, that it's everything matters. Everything matters on it. So I had to be very, very focused to write the best report I could. And so that's that's what we have to do. We have to engage, critically engage. So, I like it. Thank you. Thank you. Be the change you want to see. Haven't heard that in a long while and it much needed. So thank you very much for that, Pierre. And uh, also to the listeners of the Hidden Gateway podcast, we hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I did. Uh, Pierre Sabak is a wealth of knowledge, uh, world-class researcher, and just a cool guy. And uh, we want to thank you again for being on the podcast. And listeners, please remember you can stay connected with us through thehiddengateway.com. You can join the discussion on Twitter as well as Instagram. If you want to get in contact with us, you can reach us at support at thehiddengateway.com. And as always, we thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. And don't forget about our YouTube. Better throw that out there too. And that's going to conclude this week's episode. Until next time, stay positive, stay questioning, be love, and be free. The Hidden Gateway, out.